Well, we are wrapping up in the home stretch of this series, Holy Roar. If you're visiting tonight, if you're watching online for the first time, we've been working out of this book. It's by Darren Whitehead and Chris Tomlin, and they are unpacking for us seven Hebrew words that all translate praise in the Bible. Pastor David, when he was up here just a few minutes ago, referenced psalmic worship. This is a definition that we use here at church. When, when, we're, when we're doing worship the way we do it, we're, we, we tell people we're not trying to be modern. We're not trying to be contemporary. We're trying to be ancient. We're trying to go back to what we see happening in the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, we find that worship is expressive. We see that it is participatory, meaning that you're not coming to watch it. You're coming to engage in it. It's band-led through instruments. It's prophetic, if that's a new term for you. It, it means that worship postures us in an environment, in a, in a setting where we hear from God. I, I like to say I've never heard his audible voice, but I feel his voice. It's a prophetic setting in the sense that you, 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 you feel like God wants to speak to you, and there should be something inside of you that wells up that you want to communicate back to him. It's loud. This idea of God being quiet and still, we, we see that in the, in the story of Elijah Mount Carmel, but that's really the anomaly. That's the exception. The majority of the time throughout Scripture, what you find when there is an exchange of conversation between people and God, that it is uproarious and it is raucous. The seven words that we see here in, in this book, Holy Roar, are listed there, meaning the hands of praise, the celebration of praise, the music of praise, the expectation of praise, the posture of praise, the song of praise, the shout of praise. It's important that we remember when the Jewish people were first reading the Old Testament, they didn't see the word praise like we see it. They saw one of these seven words. And, and one of the things I love about this book is that it brings deeper understanding to the Scripture for us, but also it should instruct our practice and so each week we've been doing two words. We're down to the final word tonight, which is kind of there towards the middle, tada, which is the expectation of praise, the expectation of praise. But I, before we move on, I did want to show, I've been trying to show this video every week because it is hilarious. I don't know if you know Tim Hawkins, the Christian comedian, but he has this riotous, uh, shall we say mockery of, uh, of, of charismatic worship and hand raising. So let's watch this together. And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know. Anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Anybody here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? <laughs> some of you are trying. You're like, I can't. I want to, Tim. I need to get some momentum. <laughs> totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us, but don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. we got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking, start slow, hands in the pockets, little elbow flap, you're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. 
Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go, there's your big three. You're set. That's great, isn't it? Stop it, it's so funny. He's, his stuff is good, his stuff is good. He's the guy that has the one on homeschooling too, doesn't he? Is he the one? Oh, so I can say that because we homeschooled, so just in case, whoa, he said, yeah, I know, it's all right. So good, right? You can't take yourself too seriously. You with me? And I, and I think it's important to recognize that when things are unfamiliar, they're uncomfortable. When things are unfamiliar, they're uncomfortable. And so being willing to talk about it, but then understanding the why behind it is, is important. Before, before I get to the idea of expectation of praise, because as I wrote in the description that's going to go online, Holy War is really a, a primer on, on worship, meaning that it's just kind of introducing people to the idea of psalmic worship who maybe are unfamiliar with it. So it, it is a little bit rudimentary. And so, so every week we, what we want to do is have something in the message that is for people who are new to psalmic worship. And then we want to have some things maybe that go a little bit, a little bit deeper. So let, let me just talk for a minute about this idea of, of what I'm calling the practice of praise. The practice of praise. This is out of Daniel I'm going to read in chapter 1, I'm going to read 3 to 7 and then, and then 17. It says, then the king ordered, Ash, I, I can't say his name, Ashpenaz, there it goes, Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. And make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Then the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine of his kitchen. They were trained for three years, and then they would enter royal service. We have Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now those are their Hebrew names. You, you, you know them as Daniel, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're, you're familiar with, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because of the story of the fiery furnace. And then we know Daniel. Many people know him because of the story of, of the lion's den. Hopefully none of that, Curtis, will be part of your calling. No fiery furnaces, no lion's dens. And, and so what we see is that these, these, these four young men were brought from captivity when the kingdom of Judah fell to Babylon, and then they were brought into royal service, into a political realm for training. And then when we jump down to verse 17, which I read earlier, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret 
the meaning of visions and dreams. We, we see here that God gives us gifts and abilities that are suited for our calling. Right? Everybody has a calling. Everybody was created for a purpose. All of us have, have assignments that God wants to give to us. And then he gives us abilities and gifts and to empower us so that we can be successful in that which he has created us to do. Understanding the difference between God-given gifts and abilities unique to our purpose versus spiritual practices that are vital to our spiritual growth guards us from neglecting the pathways that should be present in the life of every Christian. We, we, we see, even in the text, that he didn't give all four of them the same kind of gifts and abilities. Right? The, the first grouping, he said, I've given to all four of them. But then to Daniel, he gave him something different. Why? Because he had a little bit different of a calling. He had a little bit unique of a purpose. So there were added gifts that were given to him. So all of us, there might be some giftings that overlap. And then for some of us, there might be giftings that are very unique to us, that are unique to our calling, unique to our purpose, and unique to our assignment. But it's important that we differentiate between what is a spiritual gift and what is a spiritual practice. We say it's important that we differentiate between what is a spiritual gift and what is a spiritual practice. So we like to do a little bit of participation here at City Life. So, so tell me, and then if you're, you're, you're watching online, you can put in the chat, what, what are some things that we call pathways here at City Life? Don't put the slide up there yet. Let's, let's just keep this one up there. But what are some things we call spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices pathways? So what are, what are some pathways? I'm going to come down here. If you're, if you're watching online, put them in the chat. Anybody back here? Lisa, what's a pathway? Fasting, yes. We call that the Christian F word. Yes, we do. Hannah? Worship. Thank you. So the series is. Somebody else, what's a pathway or a spiritual discipline? Yeah. Gathering. Gathering. Rest. Rest. Come on, you guys are rolling. Somebody on this side, giving. Nathaniel? Reaching. Yes, come on. Anybody else? Prayer. Yes, fellowship. Stewardship. Stewardship. You got, what's that? Accountability. Accountability. Throw the list up. I think you guys got just about all of them. Yeah. There's 12 that we teach here at City Life. We call them pathways. Are they disciplines? They are. We like to call them pathways because they take you somewhere. They take us into a place of growth and spiritual maturity. They lead us into the formation of the character of Christ inside of us. Scripture, prayer, fasting, worship, accountability, relationship. Somebody said fellowship. We use the word relationship, but the same concept. Reaching, that's the word that a lot of traditional Christian, Christianese would call evangelism. We like reaching. It's a little bit more of a modern term. Gathering, service, rest, generosity, and stewardship. Generosity and stewardship are a little bit different. Stewardship is the idea that everything that we have belongs to God and that I am responsible for managing it for his purpose. Generosity is an extension of stewardship, meaning that, that every person that has possession of things is intended by God to give some of it away, right? So generosity is part of our stewardship, but they're a little bit different. So stewardship and generosity. It's important that we understand these as spiritual practices compared to spiritual gifts, because if not, then we might look at some of them and say, well, that's not really what I'm called to do, right? In worship, this idea of praise can 
easily slip into that because if we don't sound like Madeline when we sing, which I do not, right? If I can't play the bass like Donald, which none of us can, who he can sing also, just so you know, or if I can't play the keys like Nathaniel, right? Chopsticks, that's as good as it's going to get for me. You with me? Right? If, if you're not careful, you might say, because I can't do this, I'm not called to that. But there's a difference between the gifting of music for the assignment of leading people in praise versus the calling of participation in psalmic worship because it is a practice, right? Now, you might, there's some others up there, right? You might say that I don't know if I'm called to be a Bible teacher, so I don't know if it's really important for me to read the Bible. And what I would say to you is don't confuse spiritual gift and assignment and calling with spiritual practice. Everybody is called to be a person who is consuming God's word. Some people are called for the consumption of God's word for the purpose of teaching others about it. There is a difference between a spiritual gift and a spiritual practice. Listen to these verses in Job 23, 11 to 12. It says, for I have stayed on God's paths. I like that idea. I've stayed on God's paths. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. Job here, and this metaphor is repeated all throughout Scripture. I love this idea of walking in obedience to the things of God as being a path or a pathway because it's not just about obedience, it's about a journey. And that journey is a journey of discipleship, which is a journey of transformation. It's growing and becoming the person that God has called and created me to be. Not just to do the things that he's called me to do, but to become the person that he's called me to become. Spiritual gifts equip me in my assignment, but it are, it's spiritual practices that form the character of Christ in me as a person. You might not be called to be a Bible teacher, but every Christian should be a reader of Scripture. You, you might not be called to be an intercessor, but every Christian should be a person of prayer. You might not call, be called to be an evangelist, but every Christian should be reaching people with the gospel. You might not be called to be a songwriter, but every Christian should be lifting their voice in worship. Psalm 150 Verses 1 through 6 read this way. Praise the Lord. Now, if you've been paying attention in this series here, praise, the word praise that is repeated here throughout all of these verses is halal, which gives us the word hallelujah, which is the celebration of praise. So praise the Lord. This idea of celebrating the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and harp. Praise him with a tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Now, I love 
that this chapter, which is the final chapter in Psalm, right? Psalm 150, the final chapter, it does not stop there. Because if it stopped there, then there might be this inclination that this is written for people who have an assignment to lead people in worship. But I love that the Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist to give us the sixth verse that says, let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Meaning that all of us, whether or not our assignment is to lead people in worship, all of us, the practice of praise and the practice of worship should be a part of our lives. If you're breathing, come on, if you're breathing, you're called to the practice of praise. Somebody say the expectation of praise. Hey, just as a side note, we had a great men's breakfast this morning. Come on. Did you know that you can put cinnamon in your pancake batter? I know. I'm just saying. This is just a little commercial. Don't act like commercials are a distraction to you. You watch TV all the time. There's commercials. But I'm just, just saying, Jamal, Madeline said earlier that was her idea. So <laughs> just, just throwing it out there. Make sure you give your wife credit, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he and Cam, though, they can cook some pancakes. And I don't know what kind of magic we use to make that chicken sausage taste like pig, but that's, yeah, it was unbelievable, unbelievable. All right, back to your regularly scheduled program. The expectation of praise. Tada is the Hebrew word that gives us this idea of the expectation of praise. The, the definition we, we, we find here that, that Chris Tomlin and Darren Whitehead give us is, is it, it means thanksgiving. It means a, a confession. It means a sacrifice of praise. It means thanksgiving, thanksgiving for things not yet received. It's good, isn't it? it? It means that we're not just supposed to be thankful for what he's already done. It means that we are thankful for that which we believe is coming. A choir of worshipers it can also mean an extension of the hands as an expression of thanksgiving. Psalm 56, 11 through 12 reads this way. It says, in God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What, what can man do to me? Vows, vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises. Our Bible says, praises, but in the original language, it was, I will render tada to you. I, I will render to you, right, a, a sacrifice of praise that is declaring your goodness, that you have already done great things for me, and that there are many more great things to come. Darren Whitehead, speaking specifically about this verse, as he writes in this book, is that David, talking about King David, he wrote this, captured by the enemy, Facing an unknown future, praise the Lord for the promise of deliverance he'd not yet received. The promise of deliverance he'd not yet received. He knew he'd be delivered. So in his imprisonment, he praised God in earnest expectation. This idea of tada. You, you see this in Daniel's life when he was in the lion's den. You see this in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were cast into the fiery furnace. They carried with them 
an expectation that the goodness of God was on their side, that he already had their best interest at heart. There was an expectation that we bring into our worship. There's an expectation that we bring into our praise. This idea of entering into psalmic worship, we, we carry with it a sense of anticipation for God. Now, there's lots of directions that we could go in here. All the things that we're anticipating, all the things that we're expecting. But I had such a sense that tonight we were supposed to focus in on one in particular. And that's this idea of expecting this feeling of being seen by our Creator. All of all that Scripture teaches us about praise, at its heart, we find the expectation of the gaze of God. Of all that Scripture teaches us about praise, at its heart, we find the expectation of the gaze of God. There is something about being seen by someone that we know loves us. You've heard me talk about this before, but our kids grew up playing sports, and so I grew up playing sports, and so we, I've, I've been around sports fields with kids for most of my life, and it's always the same. At some point, in some type of athletic contest, when a kid finds themselves in a moment when it's their turn, whether it's stepping up to the foul line or stepping up to bad or maybe in gymnastics it's 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 their it's their turn for their event or maybe it's track and field or whatever it might be whatever it might be that there's that moment where it's their turn and I'm I'm telling you 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 see it all the time there is a glance up into the stands that a child makes they want to see that their parents are looking at them that there's this desire in a child's heart to be seen by their mother and their father. There, there's this desire to, to know that this, this, these people that love me, that are for me, that they are looking at me, right? When, when we step into places of psalmic worship, like we're going to do in a little bit more tonight, right? The idea of these services, we're preaching on the front end and spending more time in worship in the back end so we can practice what we've learned, is that I hope that for some of you, maybe for the first time, if you're watching online, wherever you might be in your living room when the music resumes, that, that you are going to be like a little kid stepping up to the plate. And, and, and part of you, when you go to the goalpost, right, it's your way of saying, God, I believe that you see me in this moment. It, it, it's, it's your way of, 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 maybe it's a little counterintuitive, but it's closing your eyes to remove the distractions and to, and to believe that the creator of the universe is looking at you. I'm telling you, it will do something inside of your heart that there are no words on this earth that can express. I've done a lot of weddings in my life. Every single time, every wedding I've ever done, when the doors in the back open and the bride steps out, Every head in the room turns, except for one, the mother of the groom. Every wedding I've ever done, it's awesome, right? They're standing there. Every head turns this way, but not the mother of the groom. She's just looking at her son. Sometimes a tear, but just this, this expression of affection, 
right? What, 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 what is, I, I think what she's, she wants to see what her son is experiencing when he sees his bride. See, see worship is not just about you being seen by God. It's realizing that he loves to look at you. It's, it's realizing that, 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 that in that moment that, that, that he can't wait to look upon you. There's something inside of us that can't wait for the feeling to be seen by him, but there is also something that the Bible teaches us that God longs for these moments just to look upon his children. There's something that stirs in his heart to watch us experience things in this life that he created us to have. Expect to be seen. Expect to be seen. Psalm 73, 25 and 28 read this way. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. Psalm 42 one through two reads this way, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go to stand before him? I want to be seen by my creator. The great Levitical blessing that many of you have heard, many of you have heard it in this church, right? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance before you and give you his peace. Half of that, is all about being seen by God. Half of it is the promise of the expectation of being seen by him. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance before you. I love that this promise was given even before it was possible. I love that this promise was given even before it was possible. See, because we find in Exodus 33 this incredible story where Moses is on Mount Sinai and, and he wants to see God's face. He, he, he wants to look upon him. And God says, you can't do it. You, you, can't do, you, you, you cannot withstand my glory. Moses, if you were to look upon my face, my, you, you would be consumed by my holiness. You would just disintegrate in a moment. So he tells Moses to hide where? In the what? For my, my Bible readers out there. Yeah, the little cave, the, what they call the cleft of the rock. Right, a little, little, little cut out of the rock. He says, you, you, you go stand with your face like he's, like he's been put in a timeout, right? Put your face in the corner. And God says, I'm going to pass by you, and I'm going to put my hand over you as I pass, but then when you feel my hand lift, you'll know it's safe to look up, and you'll see me passing by. That's as close as you can get, Moses, as close as you can get. But later on, when Moses writes, he writes about this promise. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance before you, right? What's he talking about? He, it, it, it's prophetically talking about the coming of Christ. That one day, Jesus is going to make it possible for us to look upon God face to face. 
One day it's going to be possible we don't have to hide in the cleft of the rock anymore. We're going to be stepping into environments and into settings and into places where we don't have to turn away and God passes by and covers us with his hand. Listen to John 1.14. So the word became human, speaking of Jesus. Listen to what it says. And made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Listen to the language here. This is important. John is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's using very specific language that connects to the moment where Moses was on the mountain. Listen to what he says. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. What's John saying? John is saying what was impossible for Moses, what was impossible for us as a people, what was impossible for us as humans is now going to be made possible through Christ alone. That through him, through his sacrifice, through his death on the cross, that we can now stand in the presence of the holiness of God and it is safe for us. Because the holiness of God is satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross for all of time. So we can stand and behold his glory. That we can look upon his face and we can have the feeling of him looking upon us. But for many of us, when we step into moments like this, when we have an opportunity to step into moments that we're coming to, there's something that always pulls us back into the shadows, and it is the shame of our sin. Listen to Ezra 9.6. It says, I prayed, oh my God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up my face to you. For our sins are piled higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. See, even though there is a path to forgiveness, even though there is a means for us to feel forgiven for our sins, there is something that we have inherited from Adam and Eve, and it is the inclination to hide. When we read in, in, in Genesis 3, we find that when Adam and Eve... Through them, sin entered the world for the first time. We, we find them hiding in the Garden of Eden. And so when God comes to look for them and he, he cannot find them, the Bible tells us that they're hiding because of their shame. All of us in moments of worship have wrestled with the shame. The shame of our past, the shame of our present, Sometimes the shame of our future, there's just, we, we just, there's an expectation we have on our tomorrow of, of our unworthiness. What, what, what I want to encourage you to do, t- tonight especially, if this is for you, I have such a sense that there are going to be people that are here tonight, or maybe people that are watching online, that it, it is shame is going to cause you to look away. This is what I want you to know, is, is that God is not embarrassed by your sin. God is not reluctant to look upon you in spite of the things that we have done. In fact, I would say that it is in the moments where we feel the most shame. It is in the moments where we are experiencing the most regret. 
that those are the moments where we need his gaze the most. Those are the moments. I can remember times when our kids were little, and maybe the one or two times they did wrong things. One or two. One or two. They don't want to look you in the eye. It's interesting. No one teaches a child that. And I can remember when their faces were little and Vanessa and I would, would, would hold their face and we would turn their face into our gaze. We wanted them to know what unconditional love was like. Is there something that's been done? Yes. Does it have consequences? Sometimes. Is there a lesson that needs to be learned? Yes. But one of those lessons is this love that we have, this acceptance, this I see you and I want you to be seen by me is not affected by this feeling of shame that you have in your heart. You give that gift to your child as a parent. Not just for the bond that you're supposed to share, but as Christians, we're supposed to model something for them. So that when they step into an environment like this and hear a preacher like me talking about it, they're familiar with it because they learned it in their home. The way that we deal with this inclination of hiding is that we say to ourselves, we don't hide from the one who loves us with an unconditional love. You might have to talk to yourself a little bit, right? Self-talk's good. You might say, no, we're not hiding tonight. We're not hiding tonight. We're we're, we're, going to step into this feeling of being seen by my God. Invite the worship team to come back up. Christmas is coming, people. We have rules at our house. Christmas decorations don't come out until the day after Thanksgiving. Right? We do not. We, thank you. Thank you. Not, I'm not trying to cause division in the church. Not trying to cause division in the church. We're a dynamic space. We're a multicultural church, right? Hey, come on, come on. Where's my rim shot there? Well, Vanessa sent a picture. We have a little group, group, group text, and she sent a picture with two, two Santa Clauses in the, in the store behind her, right? Like, it's way, I, I said, it's not Christmas. Those are just people dressed for Halloween in Santa Claus outfits, right? Just going to take the holidays as they come. We, we, we taught on the journey of the Magi. We're probably going to dip our toe back into that water a little bit this Christmas. But whenever I talk about the Magi, I always like to, to, to say this. Can, can I suggest to you tonight that they didn't just travel hundreds of miles to see Jesus. They came to be seen by him. They came to be seen by him. They didn't just travel all that way and bring those gifts because they wanted to look upon the birth of a king, something inside of them, even when he was a child, they wanted to stand in his gaze. Even when he was so small, he fit in a manger. There was something inside of them that wanted to stand in his presence and to see his eyes looking into theirs. So my my question to you tonight is, how far do you need to travel in this moment to stand in his gaze?
See, sometimes traveling is geographic, but sometimes traveling is just all about in here. What's the distance that you need to travel tonight? To stand in a place of being seen by your God. For some of you, it might be geographic. For, for some of you, you might have this tug in your heart you've not felt before to come and just kneel at this altar or maybe just stand at this altar. You're welcome to do that. So some of you might feel that. If you're watching at home, you might have this feel to, to, to get up off your couch and, and, just, and just kneel or, or stand with outstretched hands wherever you might be. There, there might be some geographic shift tonight for you. But, but for all of us, even if our geography doesn't have to change, there's usually some distance in our heart that we've got to be willing to travel to posture ourselves in a place of tada, of expectation and praise. Stand with me. Father, we know that sometimes praise is about dancing. Sometimes we know that praise is about clapping our hands. So sometimes we, we know that praise is, is, is about a shout of victory and joy and celebration. But we also know, God, that sometimes praise is about just being still for a moment. And imagining you looking at us and letting our hearts be warmed by the reality that our Creator sees us and that you love us and that you smile over us, that you make your face to shine upon us, that you lift up your countenance before us and that you give us your peace. Of all the things, God, that we experience tonight, for the people that are here and the people that are watching online around the world, let, let it be, oh God, let it be that we would feel seen by you. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.